Welcome to the Top Order podcast. A quick this week in cricket for you in this week where New Zealand win a Commonwealth medal. They continue European dominance with the men's side 11-0 clean sweep on their European summer holiday. And we start the campaign for the Top Order podcast to bring back World Series cricket. We're going to fix the ICC, future tours and all things in a massive, massive rant. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, guys, I'm um, coming to you live from the UK. I was in Birmingham where the Commonwealth Games are happening uh, just a few days ago. There's a real buzz around uh, my old home city. It looks like it's been a really successful Commonwealth Games from a, uh, yeah, from a spectacle perspective. And New Zealand have done all right in the, in the tournament as well, um, beating England handsomely in that semi-final. Um, yeah, so thoughts on yeah thoughts on a, a medal in the Com Games to start with, boys. Oh, mate, I, I'm absolutely stoked about this. And uh, look, we'll, we'll we've obviously got someone in the room here who uh, comes from a country that won the gold, but we'll we'll get to the bronze first because I actually Let's personally I do feel like that's actually more more momentous than Australia winning the gold because I think we said it last week. Like Australia Australia is the dominant women's side. We sort of knew that and. You know, they showed it. They actually got pushed very hard by New Zealand in the semi and very hard by India in, in the final. So, you know, well done to them for actually coming through. I think we've, again, we've talked about that a number of yeah, times, Yeah, we'll touch right? on it. Yeah, we'll that, touch on it. That, but I think for New Zealand, there's just been so much negativity around this side for, for the last couple of months. I mean, obviously we had the disappointment of the World Cup where hopes were high and, and a lot of people were talking about women's cricket and, you know, we, we started to feel like, okay, you know, what we need here is some New Zealand semi-final, a bit of a run deep in this tournament, and everyone will be buzzed up, buzz up about it. But it just didn't happen. We lost a lot of close games. And then we went to the contracting situation, and that was a massive downer as well because we had, you know, some of the, you know, well, one of the greats of, of women's cricket in New Zealand, Amy Satterthwaite, who, you know, whichever uh, line of thinking you, you sit by, she probably deserves a contract and I don't think there's any, too many people di- you know, disagreeing with, with that. that. So yep. so look, that all went down. There was a lot of negativity about uh, some of the younger players who were coming up, but this this is just... it. It I think probably, obviously winning the medal is fantastic, but the fact that they put, in 24 hours, they put two incredibly good performances together, back-to-back against Australia, really pushed them hard. I mean, you know, Australia, five wickets, they won in the last over... Probably the last, you know, four or five overs, they they were always going to get there. But I, I think they pushed them really hard. They had a couple of chances that they dropped. But then you go to the next day, you get over that disappointment. England's absolutely pumped them in the pool game. And they came out and they just dominated in that game. So, yeah, I was just absolutely wrapped. And, you know, look, not as wrapped as Katie Martin. I don't know if anyone saw that. She was just fist pumping on the in the crowd. It was awesome to see. But yeah, really, really excited. So then, Stuart, <clears throat> if I can just jump in here, would you say if someone told you that you'd win the bronze medal going into the Commonwealth Games, is that something you would take? Oh, absolutely. I would have. I would have bitten your hand off for for a Commonwealth medal. I think when we looked at that pool, we saw South Africa strong side, uh, England strong side. You know, we might not even get into the the third and fourth playoff, and you know, England. I mean, I think England will probably be really disappointed to to not pick up a medal. I think that they. You know they've had a few people ruled out as well. I don't think Heather Knight was at, Heather Knight wasn't at this tournament. They decided to to go with a few younger players. Tammy Beaumont didn't wasn't selected. So you know similar ish things that that happened with the New Zealand side. But 
Look, you'd st- I think if you looked at the the sides on paper, you'd certainly think that New Zealand is not in the top three women's cricket sides at the moment. On paper. On paper, and, and they've got a medal, which is, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely outstanding performance from the White Ferns in this tournament. This is the vindication of the hope and expectation that New Zealand as a cricket fan nation placed on the team in the lead-up to the World Cup and why fans were a little bit disappointed with the outcome of that tournament. They were very, very close in two games, lost two crucial games and missed out on qualification for the finals. But you have a look at what can happen in a major tournament when you've got to win a couple of games on the bounce or or anything can happen in a final. Whichever analogy or, or storyline you want to choose, New Zealand have gone and made that happen. What's really pleasing for me is in that final... Other than the big three, girls stepped up with the ball and put England under a lot of pressure. And we talked about in that preview to the World Cup, other than the big three of Kerr, Bates and and Devine, somebody at some point in that tournament, in order for them to get a medal, was going to have to stand up. And I think the bowling department as a group did an excellent job in that that third medal, uh, in that bronze medal playoff to put New Zealand in a chance for their big three to go and do the job with the bat, which they did. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you, I, I probably want to highlight a couple of them there. Hayley Jensen's been fantastic this whole tournament. And I think the, the one person that I really want to take a lot of confidence about now out of what she's done in this tournament is Fran Jonas. She was one of the people who was talked about in that World Cup as someone who maybe a lot of people didn't think... Surprise. She, yeah, a little bit of a surprise. Didn't yeah. think she deserved to be there. People were saying, you know, Lee Kasparik a, a lot, should have been selected over her... Again, I'm you know, I don't know what she's listening to, but I'm sure she probably heard some of that noise and and uh, you know didn't really get a great opportunity in that. She's just bowled four overspells against England and against Australia, performed really well in both of those games, bowling in you know some tough overs up up front. I think she should take a massive amount of confidence from this. And and yeah, I mean, look, I think we do have to, I don't know, get. I'm super excited about this, but we do have to kind of qualify it by saying. It's, it's a T20 knockout tournament that kind of, as you say, anything kind of can happen. It's also, there were some of the puzzling selection stuff sort of still did remain. I mean, the way that New Zealand built their side over that tournament, we had play, bowlers who were playing in the game who didn't bowl. We had batters, uh, you know, Georgia Plymouth didn't come into the side until the semi in the final. And, uh, you know, our batting lineup was sort of filled with six, seven all-rounders in there and yeah there's there's some weird things still going on I think they're still finding their feet but look yeah absolutely getting a medal is fantastic so just before we move on to the gold and silver medalists um we have mentioned a couple of times both of you have mentioned the 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 heartbreak or the you know the, the you know low levels of performance that New Zealand had at our home world cup just throwing to you, Binksy, for a quick summary on the on the on the England women's team and having that pressure of having a home, you know, massive major tournament. Did it get to them, or was it a selection issue? And can you see the uh, alarm bells being rung and people being chucked out, just like uh, we saw down here? Yeah, I I think from a selection perspective, it was puzzling that Tammy Beaumont, um, I think, scored might have even scored a hundred in a, in the last game she played, and then gets left out of the World Cup squad, um, which yeah seemed a little bit strange. That they obviously wanted to get a few of those younger guys in um, into the side. Um, so yeah, big loss as well. Have a night getting injured, I think, um, uh, really early in the in the tournament. But yeah, look, I don't think the pressure necessarily got to them. I think you've got to give a lot of credit to New Zealand in that. Um, in that bronze medal game 
So, yeah, I, I, I'm not particularly concerned. They're probably slightly underperformed if you look at the last couple of years' worth of women's cricket. Um, but let's give Baldy his moment in the sun. Some um, off-the-field noise on, on finals day. Talia McGrath, I think, um, testing positive for COVID on the morning of the game. She was, you know, having to remain socially distanced from the huddle, wear a mask on the podium to get her gold. But mm. um, the, the team shot that noise out pretty well to, to beat, a, you know, a pretty decent India side in that final. Yeah, the Indian side were, were fantastic. Give me 90 seconds on this Australian women team because I spent a long time over the last 24 hours trying to put together the right number and quality of superlatives to describe this Australian women's side because they are iron women. They are absolute champions and they are a champion team. You know, they perform at their best when they're out there in the deep choppy water and not everyone wants to go and swim out there. Some sides when they get out there and you can't see the markers and you can't, you don't really know where you're going and the waves are washing over you, it can be hard to navigate. It can be hard to do the yards when it gets going and the going gets tough. This Australian team executes their skills under pressure both at maximum mental and physical duress better than any cricket side I think anybody has ever seen men's or women's. They get themselves in pressure situations time and time again. India in the pool game, New Zealand in the semi-final, India again in the final. India should have won that final. Mm. From 112 for two with six overs to go, chasing 160, Hermanpreet Kerr's on 50-odd at that time. News, India should have won that game, but Australia find a way every single time. Different players stand up. Ash Gardner, sneaky underrated cricketer, Ash Gardner. She was incredible in this tournament. This Australian women's side is an absolute definition of a champion team, and I don't think we've ever seen, and we probably already know this, but we this is the best pressure performance that I have seen from that team probably the best balance team we've ever seen. They played without statistically the best women's cricketer that we've ever seen in Elise Perry, not in this tournament. Yeah, Rachel didn't feature. didn't feature, didn't play. Rachel Haynes batted at seven. Australia found a way to win, you know, cricket games. And they are, they are the All Blacks. They are the Melbourne Storm. They are the Chicago Bulls. They are the team that when the pressure is on and when maximum performance is required under duress. They just keep delivering time and time again. And it's not the fact that they were pushed in the final that makes it memorable, but the fact that they were pushed three times in this tournament and everybody found something to deliver. It's just an out another outstanding performance from this women's side. I couldn't have said it better <clears throat> myself there, but I noticed you didn't mention the Sydney Roosters in, those, in that lineup of teams that were great. Uh, just a quick note on the Indian team. I think they played really, really well. They obviously put a lot of focus into this tournament, going mm. into it, and you could see that they were really up for it. That semi-final win against England is up there with those clutch performances that you were you were talking about. And then also, they pushed Australia in both of the games. I could see India winning both of those games against Australia uh, during this tournament, but look, at the end of the day, Australia is just too good. Champion team and number of champion performances. Yeah, well deserved. Yeah, it's pretty pretty choppy um, line from Auckland to just outside rural Gloucestershire here where I am. But um, caught most of that. Do we want to talk a little bit about the other European tour that's been going on? Black Caps have had a, a clean sweep of uh, Scotland, Ireland and the Netherlands down here. We, we've obviously spoken to Mark Ellison about the... Um, the island leg of that but Lippy is that what you expected from this little tour? Oh well I mean Baldy was just rattling off the, the champion teams I mean uh, you, you know 11-0 11, 11 is, is just fantastic You can we can throw the black caps in that mix but no look in, in all seriousness I, I think yeah touched on it a little bit last week that what New Zealand has done really well is that they've 
they've managed to avoid any slip-ups. These are, these are games that on paper they're always expected to win and they managed to go through and do that. And I think, you know, pleasing side sign that we've touched on it again a, a, a number of times throughout this, these games is that it's sort of different people all the time and um, different people are kind of getting their opportunity and, and almost everyone is taking that opportunity. You know, even this last game against the Netherlands, Mitchell Santner batted three, scores 77 not out off, of you know, 30-odd balls or whatever it was, 40-odd balls. And look, you know, you look at that innings in isolation and it's not it's not a masterclass of batting. There were, there were a few edges and there were, you know, a few things. That, it, I, you know, I don't think that's something we're going to see in the future, but... Yeah, you've got to be pretty impressed with with what they've done, and um, yeah, really happy to kind of see a lot of new names in, in the fold, and um, yeah, pleased with it. So I just put this question out there. I'll ask it first, and then I'll fill, so you have some time to <laughs> think about the answer. What what was the actual point of this tour? Why why did we go away on this tour? Was it a, a money making activity? Was it a we're returning the favour for some of these associate nations that have helped us with cricket, and they are growing and learning as they go along? What, what what do you guys think the point of this tour was? And have we fulfilled that? The the thing that New Zealand absolutely, without a doubt, will check off on this tour is building depth going into the World Cup. Now you know that you've got options in Phillips and Chapman that you kind of knew you already had, but now you've got Bracewell, right? You know that you can get 100 out of Finellan. You know that you can get performances out of Mitchell Santner with bat and ball now. So in terms of all of the checkboxes that they probably wanted to tick from positions, if you like, 8 through 15 on the depth chart of New Zealand cricket going into that World Cup, you've ticked all of those boxes, I think, as far as I'm concerned. The only thing that's probably remaining is for you guys to figure out what your bowling attack, your fast bowling attack looks like. But from a perspective of going, okay, can these players in 8 through 15 do a job for us if we ask them to in a pool game or a semi-final game of a World Cup, a T20 World Cup or whatever, you have absolutely ticked that question. And, and, and answer that question for mine. Yes, there's a bit of philanthropy involved in terms of, you know, going on, on tour and and visiting those associate nations, those those lower ranked nations, whatever you want to describe them as, and I'm not being detrimental to them, but there is a there is a case for, okay, New Zealand didn't play their absolute 100% best side, but there was entertaining cricket played. Scotland put 300 on New Zealand and put them under pressure. You know, there was times in those games where New Zealand had to stand up and perform, and I think they found a lot about their players that they, that they have in that depth, depth chart, and I think they should take that forward to the World Cup. Shout out, little shout out to the Netherlands and uh, and all the New Zealand connections that they have. The, the, obviously, uh, we've talked about Logan or Logan Van Beek and, and Max O'Dowd before. In this series, they had Tim Pringle, who uh, plays for, N, for ND, and, and we had Teja Nedimanuru, who uh, played a bit of cricket here, club cricket here in Auckland. So, yeah, look, we've 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 got a lot of New Zealand connections there, and uh, actually a top order podcast connection on the on the commentary. We had Shane Dietz commentating, so. Uh, yeah, very, very nice to to kind of feel see that feeling in in the Netherlands. And yeah, look, I I the the one thing I probably took out of it it was a, again really nice to see Ben Sears uh, in a New Zealand jumper. I, I know I've banged on it a few times. I think he's a really important kind of cog in in our future for for New Zealand. Was there a speed gun? Because I I haven't seen um, Sears bowling live, but I hear he is quite quite. Quick. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I don't think there was, or maybe maybe I wasn't paying that much attention to the speed gun. But yeah, look, he's he's fast. He's he's got a bit of talent. He's someone that I want to see us really really develop over the years. So yeah, look, I, I think you've kind of touched on it there, Baldy. That that we probably don't need to to dive too deeply into this. We've got, I think, again, we've said it before. This West Indies series, this is the one I think now we have to kind of nail down what we're doing. And and yes, it's great to experiment and try all these different things. 
But now we're going to go to the West Indies who have come off the back of a, a whole host of games against India and, and, uh, and uh, you know, who else do they play? They played someone else in, before the India series. And that's when we're going to have to be, okay, This everyone's in your position for the T20 World Cup and kind of figure out what we're doing. But yeah, look, tick, absolutely checked all the boxes. Baldy, I think it's over to you really to introduce this next segment. I know um, you've got a, a, a minor B in the bonnet, haven't you? And um, I think we can sort of uh, let the B out of the bonnet now, can't we? <laughs> The sentence that no one on this podcast is standing <laughs> along beside me wants to hear when we get into the recording studio are the words I have prepared remarks. I I've been reading I've been reading this interview actually it's quite a good one on the Crick Info Press uh, by Nagaraj Golapudi uh, and Osman Samudin with not Sam Allardyce but um, I think it's Jeff Allardyce and Wasim Khan talking about the Future Tours program that's about to be released for 2023 to 2027, and they mentioned 2027 and beyond. And the reason that we're talking about this is, of course, that there's going to be more cricket than ever now in this next Future Tours program. They've pretty much confirmed that. They've confirmed that there's going to be a combination of mandated series as part of the World Test Championship, but then nations will be able to set bilateral cricket series up again in amongst all of the major tournaments that we have and the emergence of these two new franchise tournaments mm. layer on top of that KKR have come out this week and I think you covered it Raj and said that they're intending to contract cricketers for a 12 month period from a franchise point of view so we're going to start to see now a schedule for cricket that not only revolves around centrally contracted international players but centrally contracted 12 months of the year franchise cricketers something has to give and the thing that is particularly concerning from my own personal point of view is that this interview with the ICC execs around the Future Tours program and we love Wasim Khan he's a friend of the show doesn't necessarily match up to my concern around what's going on with the Future Tours program for example is international cricket in clear and present danger from T20 leagues Aladis no T20 leagues have been around for for 15 years now they've gradually been growing but the number of countries putting on leagues there's probably only one or two new ones since the last FTP cycle yes but they are major tournaments with huge money backing from established IPL franchise owners they are not stupid they are there for the long haul and they are in it for the money these are leagues that are not going to just flash in the pan and die they are long-term things and even if they're not that puts a real two-year pressure on on players that are already deciding whether or not they want to play for their club versus country. You know, um, you'll see that there are more matches next cycle. This is Wasim Khan now. There are more matches in the next cycle than the current cycle. There's not enough room in the current cycle for all the cricket <laughs> we have to play. We can't afford to play more matches. So you'll hear a lot about bilateral cricket. And again, I'm quoting here from Wasim Khan. So though you'll hear a lot about bilateral cricket being squeezed out, the facts don't probably back probably don't back that up. Yes, there's additional ICC events, but that also helps with the sustainability of the world game, which is critical. That is true. So the sustainability of world cricket is critical, but we can't do that by overloading the schedule of cricket and then making the choice between playing and not playing the ones that our elite cricketers have to play. What is going to happen here is if we don't do something now, and this is structurally and point in time, the ICC has a unique position to control before it is taken out of their hands by franchise cricket, the direction for scheduling for cricket so that it is sustainable for international cricket to feature the best international players. Because if we don't take care of that now, what will happen is that the best international cricketers will play franchise cricket 
over country and we will end up with a club football situation where you you want to go see your, your your favorite cricketer you will go watch their franchise game you will not go and watch them play for their country we've already seen it with ben stokes and this is not a new phenomenon but it is an emerging growing trend that should be massively concerning for the icc and from what i have seen in this announcement i don't see anything that speaks to a need to reduce the burden on international teams on international associations reducing the amount of bilateral series that they play because what have the ICC said they've effectively said it is up to the individual host nations and players associations to thrash out a bilateral series arrangement in scheduling their cricket that provides for what works for them and what works for the international cricket associations is not necessarily what is in the best interest of their individual players to play optimum performance optimum contextual matches and let's touch on that right we want international cricket to matter we want it to be exciting we want it to be entertaining we don't want to have a situation where we've got seven meaningless t20s just to fill in a calendar we want cricket to have meaning when did international one day international cricket last have massive meaning for you guys Binksy, I think you should go because uh, there's not much air left in this room after after that rant. So we we need to just take a little breath. But and uh, yeah, you can answer that first. Well, notice Bordy didn't say he'd got brief prepared remarks. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Um, yeah, look, the, the the question around meaning the 2019 World Cup final really that was the last meaningful one day I can remember. Um, and that's not just because of the result of the game. That, that's because um, I, I think that, that that's the format that I think best um, encapsulates uh, ODI cricket now. Um, the, the biggest thing for me is that you've got players now that are contracted to big cricket boards. And I'm talking pr- primarily here about Ben Stokes, Joss Butler, Moen Ali. They have all done fairly candid interviews in the course of the last uh, three or four weeks talking about the schedule and talking about the fact that you know something needs to give and it's likely that ODI cricket is the thing that's going to need to to make way so I, I think the ICC really need to see the kind of warning signs that they aren't going to have a product if they haven't got um, those players wanting to play in that format and it's only going to take you know four or five more um, you know high profile players to come out that that kind of bandwagon is going to keep rolling and put some pressure on in terms of what that uh, what that future schedule looks like my my main concern along with that is around if the ICC is you know saying that the you know teams should bilaterally organized or organized bilateral series amongst themselves what is the ICC doing if they're not actually looking after the future tours program and and stuff like that <laughs> this is this is this is the this is the challenge this is the problem is you've the made, IC- made them all read again the the <laughs> The ICC have said, we, these are the international tournaments that we're going to stage. And there's, I don't know what this future tours program is going to look like, but the international tournament schedule that came out last year had, an, had a white ball tournament pretty much every year going forward. It either had a World Cup or a Champions League t- style event every year going forward until 2032, I think. It also had the World Test Championship final every two years going forward. So you are going to see at least one, if not two, major ICC tournaments every year. And that in itself is too much from a tournament perspective. The World Cup 
is important and it's meaningful because it's only once every four years, right? You only get to go to a couple of World Cups if you're a really successful international cricketer. If you're super good, you might get to go to three, right? That needs to have some meaning. The build-up to the World Cup needs to have some meaning. There needs to be some jeopardy in qualification. Whether or not you say that only four teams qualify for the, for the sake of the argument, only four teams automatically qualify for the second stage of the finals and the other eight to 12 nations have to play in to go to those to those finals and you end up with eight teams in the finals even if you had like we had with the t20 world cup a two-stage event but you make it hard to get to the world cup finals with automatic qualification that creates jeopardy and context around bilateral cricket or lead-up cricket in the build-up to a world cup be it t20 or one day international cricket and that means your average summer of Australia and New Zealand or India and Sri Lanka or Pakistan and the West Indies has some meaning to it because that means, hey, if we can get to a guaranteed final eight position in the World Cup, there could be big money on offer, right? There could be big prize money on offer. There could be big qualification money, whatever it happens to be. But real jeopardy and real context into each game rather than a Super League table that I don't think has a lot of context for fans. Certainly we as fans don't look at it in terms of a build-up to the World Cup because we know our teams are probably going to make it. If not, they're going to have that A and B tournament. But if you had four teams get into the World Cup final for ODI cricket or into that final eight guaranteed and everyone else had to play off, there's a lot of jeopardy there because eight, uh, five through 12 could be an entertaining as hell tournament. Yeah, look, I, I think, that, you know, we could probably talk about this for ages. I know I we could. talked about it a previous episode, in, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But I think just from a personal point of view, I'm kind of gutted that, one day cricket is seems like it's on the outs. So I know, Binks, you just referenced those interviews. I think there was a quote from Moeen Ali basically saying, yeah, I think one day cricket is kind of going to be gone soon. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing that. But, yeah, uh, one day cricket is much more entertaining to me than, than T20 cricket. But I know I'm I'm in the minority in terms of money and the, the product that they can offer. But, yeah, look, uh, that, that's the disappointing part but let's, for me. Let's talk about why we find ODI cricket entertaining. Why did we find it entertaining as kids? Well, I, I think because... Well, I think one day what one day cricket offers is... Uh, it's, it's sort of... It's that natural bridge because there's between Test cricket and now T20 cricket because you can actually build innings. You can... There, there's sort of... There's, there's a little bit of ebb and flow yeah, still, right? There's, there's, there's tactics, a little bit of nuance. There's, to there's it. a lot of elements to it, but you know, there's there's also the fact that yeah, a lot of those games did feel like they matter. We had tri series. We had we had all sorts of different things that were going on. I mean, you know, I think anyone from New Zealand or Australia that that World Series cricket was the thing that we all looked forward to in the summer. And you know, I, I would much prefer to see a World Series go on every year than the the BBL and all, all that sort of stuff. And, and they got huge, huge crowds to that. But, you know, you can't pump out, I don't know, whatever it is, like 3,000 games within a 30-day period to to do that with three international sides, whereas you can if you've got eight franchise leagues. So, yep. look, yeah, it, money, money is going to rule all of this, but I think that the sad part is that, yeah, one day cricket does seem to be the one. And, and I don't know how you get that back because it doesn't really seem to be any real desire for that to happen and I think the, the issue there is we were talking about this off air is the bilateral stuff if if that's the way forward and the ICC is going to say look go ahead and make your own um, schedules things like that that actually provides an opportunity for company or com- companies countries like New Zealand and Australia to form a partnership bring two teams down play a test series in each country switch the teams and then play a four way 
quadrangular series at the end of it that would actually get me more interested in one day cricket and it would be exciting yep. watching something because it's got a bit of context right and that's the thing that we need to layer into international one day crickets the only thing I'm asking for is give our games context and meaning and that's all I've got to say on the matter until next time when I'm going to hijack <laughs> the last 10 minutes of the podcast to talk about cricket scheduling because it gets me angry just before we finish just touching on the the, the KKR 12 12 month contracting saga mm. I actually find it really interesting I kind of opened my mind up and thought about it from from both perspectives that actually works for someone you know the likes of Jimmy Neesham who hasn't got a contract from yeah. New Zealand could sign a 12 month contract with KKR and uh, play wherever get deployed wherever he needs to play for that that tournament so that works for someone like him but the issue is when there's a scenario like Pat Cummins, we're going to offer you $3 million. You go and play wherever we want you to. Oh, what series do you want to, you want to play an Ashes series? We'll let you free for that. It's, it's yeah, but just, what if they don't? That's the problem. Exactly. What, what, if the, what if Pat Cummins' $4.5 million contract for the KKR franchise to play PSL and the West Indies League and the Indian Premier League and maybe play in the, the UAE tournament over the Christmas period, what if that doesn't include him him being yeah. able to go and play the Ashes? And by that stage, if that happens, it's too late. We've already lost, right? So this is what I'm talking about. The ICC have one opportunity now to make sure that they set up cricket for prosperity going forward. Otherwise, they'll just be at the whims of, of franchises who, hey, are entrepreneurs who want to be able to do the right thing by making themselves money and creating a great entertainment product, but is it the right thing for Test Cricket? I'm not so sure it is. Stop us now, Binksy, otherwise we won't, we'll never get free. Yeah, look, it's a fascinating set of circumstances that are unfolding, and look, I'm sure lots and lots um, to run up. Bordy, I guess the good thing is from a Pat Cummins perspective, I think Cricket Australia still have to release him to play in those franchise tournaments. So at the moment, as long as it works that way around, um, you're probably not going to have that problem. But yes, there is going to be a situation where, um, you know, you're, you're contracted to a franchise and, and sort of uh, move around and, and probably don't want to play international cricket, which will be a really, really sad uh, state of affairs. Look, hopefully we won't see it in our lifetime, but I'm, I'm sure, um, unfortunately, we are going to see um, we are going to see that over the course of the next four or five years. But look, it's horrible to end on such a gloomy note. We've got a Commonwealth um, medal um, or two Commonwealth medals in the room. Um, a bronze for New Zealand a gold for Australia we'll be back on the Top Order podcast next week with far more cricketing news, views and interviews from all around the world of our beautiful game we'll see you soon, Good night. God bless <laughs>